0: You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K.
1: You know, in the early days of the internet, it was like a race to everyone's got to be on the internet and you got to have a presence and you have to be able to be found. And now, all of a sudden, we've kind of grown up through that. And now we're at the spot of like, wait a sec, I don't want to be found. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans
2: podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Mark Hepsinski, who is Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at OneRep, He's talking about consumer and data privacy. But first, a word from our sponsor, know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? Working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps? Actually having a weekend every so often? We get it. User behavior can be a challenge. But users can also be an infosec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped. What do we mean by that? We'll stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before on that very question. All right, Joe. Uh, before we jump in here, we've got a couple of bits of follow-up, and yes. actually, before we get to our follow-up, I just want to make note that. We are now into our sixth season.
0: How about that? Yeah. Congratulations, that Dave. Nice.
2: We'll say right back at you there, my friend.
0: So we've been doing this for like five years now, and this is yep. the beginning of the sixth
2: year? That's right. Huh. That's right. And we're I'm not sick of each other yet. <laughs> so I speak for myself, right? Yes. No, I,
0: and nor am I sick of you. So. Okay. I, I will say that. Yes. So there's
2: a pregnant pause there, Joe. As no, well, I was.
0: We talked over each other. I used one of my common jokes (laughs) I talk about, and never mind.
2: Okay. All right. Well, let's dig into our follow-up here. Uh, Do you want to start things off for us?
0: Sure. John writes in with some comments about our last show. He says, hi, guys, loving the show and all that, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Funny, I don't really think of your podcast as a show, more like an entertaining way to pass across developments in cybersecurity. In general, the TAP interface, now this is talking about last week where we talked about the TAP interface with uh, ATMs. Right, and credit um, cards that have tap to pay. Right, it's a yeah. it's an NFC. Uh, in general, the tap interface is safer than the slot interface because you actually put your card away by the time you interact with the computer to make a withdrawal, which is hmm. a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tap interface should be a very limited interface. It allows you to make one withdrawal up to a certain amount within a certain period of time. Perhaps you can set this when using the slot interface. Mm. If you want to make more transactions, you should be required to put the card in the slot. The TAP interface should not have the same functionality as the slot. This way, the TAP interface becomes the less risky option. The only risk you take is with the cash you take out, and the slot interface should perhaps be limited to interior halls of banks where there is good surveillance and perhaps even a guard,
2: Mm.
0: which would be nice. (laughs) Um, As for AI, because we were talking about AI last week as well. Yeah. Surely it's time for some kind of legislation. Mm-hmm. I am really surprised that AI companies are allowed to make this kind of thing anyway. I mean, allowing AI to generate screaming and, oh my God, help me voice is negligent to the extreme. They should be held accountable. Kind regards, John. Hmm. So I don't know. I, I mean, I get what John's saying here because the the malicious intent or the malicious use case is really uh, impactful here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that we should be legislating how AIs can produce voices, hmm. um, because I can see a use case, like for example, in, in generating cheap and affordable dialogue, where you need to have certain emotions put into the uh, into the voice.
2: Right. Let's say you're making a some kind of radio play or a podcast with, a, and you have a character who's in the middle of a horror movie or something. That, right. That could be a, a legit use case for something like that. Sure, It would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, too, did just a little brief bit of digging with the TAP interface Mm -hmm. and uh, found that from a tech point of view, it's really the same as the chip and pin. It's using the same technology as chip and pin from the security point of view. So So it
0: does a challenge response? (laughs) Joe, (laughs) it uses the same as the chip and pin. That's that's what I
2: found out. So um, to the the degree that the stuff that I said was was saying that it is the same degree of security – as a chip and pin transaction. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. So we have another listener who wrote in who asked to remain anonymous and Mm -hmm. they say, lately I've been plagued by an ethical dilemma. Ah, good.
0: We're good at that, right, (laughs) Dave?
2: (laughs) I have had some education in InfoSec, especially social engineering. However, I've switched majors some time ago and now want to return to the field of pen testing after my non-security major. So I've been educating myself on social engineering techniques and practicing them. However, I find myself slowly drifting from pen testing to shadier practices, such as taking the bus for free. Hmm. I notice myself rationalizing this as if it's okay since I'm training to help people later on. (laughs) I don't want this, as this goes against my principles, but I also really want to practice. As you said in one of the episodes of this year, it's fun for the hacker to see what the defenders got. I like to see how good the physical security and alertness is and how to improve this. I know there are white hat hackers who start as hobbyists, but how can you do that ethically with social engineering? And how can I practice without harming people? Haggle on the market? Become a salesperson? Make my college essays more persuasive? I'd love to know what you think.
0: I like all of those suggestions about that mm-hmm. um yeah, but I understand absolutely what you're talking about here it, you if you get these tools for social engineering, you can absolutely use them for your own benefit, yeah, and uh yeah, that's probably not ethical. I mean, you're taking a bus for free that's probably doesn't have a lot of impact, but uh, how do you practice these skills uh to to get better at them? I would definitely say uh haggling at a market is a good is a good way to do it mm-hmm. uh. Another another one, I don't know, being a salesperson, maybe. Um, I don't know how that works, though. I mean, my wife is a fantastic salesperson. I've often said that she would make a great social engineering pen tester. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I would see if you can find a job with a company that does physical pen testing. Yeah. And, try, see, and see if you can start talking your way into these things. Or if you really want to try, uh, see if you can reach out to companies and say, can I just try to physically pen test your company? I I, I don't know if that's going to go well.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know, it would be in it for their, you know, there's the risk reward probably wouldn't some stranger calls you up and says, "Hey, can I break into your company?" Yeah. I'm not yeah. working for anybody. I just right. want to see how good I am at it.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> it's going to go over very well. Might not be the best thing. <laughs> but if you have a network, you know, if you have a network
0: of people and you know people at these at these organizations, yeah. Um, you know, bring it up as a, as an option. I would um, also
2: say there're lot. there's lots of community out there for these sorts of things. There is. So find your local hacking community, you know, your b-sides, your, you know, there's the um uh, the folk, you know, the st- there's lots of stuff leading up to big events like Black Hat and the big right. ones that you've heard of. There's lots of community there and most of these groups have local chapters
0: all over the world. Yeah. yeah. So
2: I would say start with that and then find the pen testers and start picking their brains. Yeah. Um
0: ask them how they uh, you know. It, it, maybe you can even find a job out of it. Yeah, you know if you're good at it. I mean, and it sounds like you are getting free bus fare. I've never been able to do that. <laughs> I always get some angry guy yelling at me about it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean I've told
2: you that how you know my wife is a, is a fantastic. As you mentioned with your wife, my wife is also a fantastic. Uh, Pentester. tester. Right. <laughs> like she, I told you the time she talked her way into Disney World.
0: Which is amazing. Uh,
2: yeah, she's just got a knack for it. I've seen her do it many, many times. There's this point, times when I just say, all right, dear, do your magic. Right. I step aside and she does her magic and she comes over to me and she'll literally say those magic words, we're in.
0: We're in. <laughs> right. She puts up her hoodie. <laughs> yeah, but I <laughs> the think... The green um, numbers start scrolling in the background.
2: I suspect that our listener has picked up on the, the truth that a huge percentage of all this is just carrying yourself with confidence. Right. You know, if you walk into a place like you own it, uh, a lot of times people are not going to stop you. Yeah. Um, I am curious, you know, I I think they bring up a really good point of at what point does the act of persuasion cross over into something dishonest? Yeah, that's a very
0: gray area. You know? If you're scamming people out of money, then... Yeah, that's where that's mm-hmm. definitely definitely bad, right? Yeah. To quote Rain Man, um, <laughs> but it's if you're if you're talking someone down in price on something, yeah, yeah, maybe not.
2: I saw a video. This is years ago now, probably a decade ago now, where there was a guy who went around to retail stores, and every time he bought something, he would say, "Hey, can I get a good guy discount?" Right. You, do you remember that video? I,
0: I do remember that video.
2: And sometimes they'd say, "Sure, yeah." yeah. <laughs> right. They'd give you know ten percent, fifteen percent. Who knows what what it was? Some would push back and say, "I'm sorry, what?" And you say, I, "I'm a good guy." You got any sort of good guy discount? And sometimes they'd say, "No." <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> right. But you know, he wasn't asking them to do anything illegal. He wasn't asking. He was just just saying, "I'm a good guy," and. Do you have any discounts that you
0: could apply to me? Yeah, they probably just gave them the senior discount. Yeah, there you have go. you gotten that yet, Dave?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. I've gotten that. <laughs> I have not. I have not. I am I am uh, AARP eligible, of course, which, which I think comes frighteningly early in your life, uh, <laughs> But uh, agreed. Yeah, but <laughs> it no. Is way too early. Do not yet have a senior discount. But, no, I've, uh, I've
0: gotten the senior discount at Arby's. I,
2: uh-huh.
0: I, I've walked <laughs> in, ordered a sandwich, and then looked at my receipt, and there it is, ten percent oh, off.
2: Wow! Didn't
0: ask for it. Just <laughs> got it.
2: Okay. Yeah,
0: it's because my hair is so gray, and your hair is still dark and beautiful and <laughs> wavy, long and flowing. <laughs> Mine right. is thinning and gray, and. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> Well, I don't know. My day will come, Joe. My day will come.
0: Oh,
1: we'll see. Yeah. It's been it a happens. long
2: time since anybody's carded me for liquor. Let's put right. it that yeah, way, that, right? That has not happened <laughs> that, to me either. That train has left the station and it ain't coming back. <laughs> and this
0: was years ago that I got that discount. Years yeah. ago. <laughs>
2: huh. All right. All right. Well, again, uh, our thanks to our listeners for writing in. Uh, we love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to share on air, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com. All right, Joe, let's jump into our stories this week. Uh, I'm going to start things off for us. This is a story from the folks over at Bleeping Computer, uh, written by Axe Sharma. Uh, And it's actually kind of a twofer here. It's about uh, folks using QR codes, both to fake parking tickets and also for surveys to steal your money. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to come at these in reverse order. So there's a woman, uh, it says it's a Singapore-based woman. I I don't... that means she lives in Singapore. Yeah, or, or if she's from Singapore living here. I think in the story, she lives in Singapore. Let's go with that. Okay. Um, She lost $20,000. $20, $20,000? After visiting a bubble tea shop. Have oh. you ever had the bubble tea, Joe? I have. have
0: I, I love it, Dave. I
2: have never had bubble tea, but I, my sister is a big fan, and I can't say I've ever tried it. So.
0: I love it. It's okay. one of my favorite things. And, uh, like, a lot of people in my family don't like things floating around in your tea, <laughs> uh, but— <laughs> For some reason, I'm a big fan of it.
2: Okay. It's sort of the tapioca version of yeah. tea, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: I've gotten one with little coconut strips. Delicious.
2: All right. No, see, that's a bridge too far for me. I like the flavor of coconut, but I can't stand the texture. Ah. Like shredded bark.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this did not, this was like uh, gelatinized, or like uh, pickled. Almost. I mean, not pickled, but it was not, it didn't have the texture of coconut.
2: Yeah. Like you want, you want to ruin a cake for me? Put shredded coconut on that, <laughs> on that puppy, and uh, I, will, I will say, good for you. Enjoy. I will go get a brownie. More cake uh, for me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So anyway, um, this woman uh, was at a bubble tea shop, and she saw a sticker on the door that was inviting people to scan a QR code and fill out a survey for basically free product, a free cup of milk or tea or bubble tea, whatever. Okay. Uh, And so she did that, um, and the QR code took her to a site that—wait for (laughs) it—downloaded a third-party app onto her Android phone Okay. in order for her to complete the survey. Um, She completes the survey. She goes to bed. While she's asleep, her phone lights up as if in a movie. Mm -hmm. The survey app siphons $20,000 out of her bank account. Wow. Yeah. So, basically, by being tricked into sideloading this app, uh, this app, and, and and I we should say, and providing the app with access to her phone. Right. So,
0: so she had to disable the, because uh, I'm assuming it was an Android phone. Yes. She had to enable, like, debugging, uh, you know, allow apps from third-party uh, locations. Right. Which is disabled by default. Right. So the website. Assume, I'm assuming the website instructed her to do these things. Yeah, it seems like
2: uh, giving access to the Android accessibility services was kind of the key, the keys to the kingdom here. Right. Yeah, which because that lets an app, you know, control the, gives the app control of the phone. Yes. Uh, so she was out twenty thousand um, dollars. So that's story number one, uh, and let's hold off on our comments until I tell you story number two. Okay. Uh, Story number two is about fake parking tickets. Mm -hmm. So this is in San Francisco, city I was in not that long ago.
0: Right. Imagine
2: you uh, go out to your car and you find on your car a parking citation from the city of San Francisco. And on that parking citation is a QR code that will allow you the convenience of paying your parking ticket online. So you scan that. You go to a website that looks... To be the legit San Francisco city government website, you pay the parking ticket, get on with your life. Right. Turns out, it ain't the city of San Francisco. And was (laughs) it even a real parking ticket? Not even a real parking ticket. Mm. No. So, I got to say, this is a clever scam. Yes. You know? Uh, Nobody's getting hit over the head. Nobody's getting you know it's still a scam people yeah. are losing money but what part of what interests me about this scam is that you might not even know you were scammed
0: right you, you might know? just think you paid a parking ticket
2: right right which which means for the scammers it lowers the incentive of people coming after them of someone hunting them down right yeah
0: but if I find out about this, I'm still going to try to hunt them down. <laughs> of,
2: course, of course, Well, you are, of course. right. <laughs> if you will find, you will take, chase them to the ends of the earth.
0: Right. <laughs> I have a very particular set of skills.
2: There you go. <laughs> um, so, but I want to get to the bigger picture here, which is QR codes. Right. And I feel like we've sort of swung back and forth with QR codes over time. You know, they started out being this very easy, clever thing to allow people to access websites using your camera. And then security folks were like, don't ever use a QR code because you don't know where it will send you. Right. And then the pandemic happened, and suddenly we had QR codes on tables instead of menus.
0: Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to tell a story that you're going to go, of course you do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At the end of the story. Okay. <laughs> but on my phone, I have a a free product. You can go out and download this on Android. I don't know if it's available for for Apple either, but it's from Trend Micro, and it's the QR Code Analyzer. Oh. And I scanned this with... And I, I tell everybody I'm at the table with, don't scan this until I verify that it's safe.
2: <laughs> You're like the guy in the in the old Warner Brothers cartoon. Stand back, folks. It might be radioactive. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> That's me with my wife and kids. That's right. And, and boy, it goes over great every time. Oh, you must be a hit at parties. I am. So uh, I do that and scan it. And, and I'm surprised that Trend Micro has... Uh, done a really good job of – these are like mom-and-pop restaurants that I go to, and it says, this one's safe. Sometimes it says unanalyzed, Hmm. but it doesn't say malicious. I've never seen one that says – or I've never gotten one that says, this is malicious. Right. Um, But they are out there. Yeah. And I wonder if Trend Micro knows about this. Oh, there's a picture of this QR code right here. Mm Mm-hmm. A quick scan of the barcode says, unverified. We have not determined if this website poses a danger. Open at your own risk. Uh-huh. So it doesn't say safe. Okay. Um, But it also doesn't say malicious. Uh, and the link is actually just a like a link shortener service. Right. For QR link, QR.link, and then some random text afterwards.
2: And you're scanning the QR code that was on this parking citation.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's correct.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um,
2: so— where do you land with QR codes then? I don't like them. Okay.
0: Uh, I, I mean, I think they're a great way to compress information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's simply a multiplex barcode. Right. And there's, there's use cases for all kinds of good use cases for multiplex barcodes, like in inventory control and mm. uh, mm-hmm. logistics and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of you and me using multiplex barcodes, there's just way too much information that can be crammed into this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you could put an entire... Query string into this barcode that tells the attackers where you are, hmm. right? You know, it's all conceivable. This is all uh, attacks that could happen. Yeah. Uh, even if you're just using this link shortening service, I could print up a different uh, QR code for every location I want to put things at, and I could find out where people are. Right. Um. When they visit my site. Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, legitimate barcode providers are probably doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't think that just because someone's bad, they're doing some of them malicious, and that isn't what normally happens. That's probably also what happens with the legitimate ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm really not a fan of of the you know take a look at our menu first off. I'm going to look at the menu on my phone, and I hate reading things on my phone uh-huh. um, that aren't designed to be read on my phone. Uh-huh. It's. I, I, maybe I'm just an old man. Ever and since
2: you started getting that senior discount,
0: right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why. Yeah, that's what it is, Dave. It's mm-hmm. a senior <laughs> discount that makes me hate this stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think there, you're you're just opening yourself up. There's uh, also there's nothing to say that uh, somebody didn't just stick a random QR code up on the on on whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, or cover up an existing QR code with, with a malicious one.
2: That's what I worry about. And yeah. so that I, I particularly am wary of ones that I see anywhere where there's a financial transaction linked to it. Right. For example, uh, I go to fill my car with gas, and the local gas station has QR codes on the pumps. I would never use that. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> But they're there. Right. But And to me, that is the perfect use case for someone to come along with their own QR code, stick it over top of that, make it seem like it's, you know, Exxon or Shell or whoever it is, and make you think you're paying for gas or authorizing the pump or whatever. Right. And taking an advantage of you.
0: Yep. So, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, what happens is you don't get your gas. I mean. Right. So, I yeah. mean. Then you have to go through the fraud rigmarole. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a uh, bad all around.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, that is my story this week. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Joe, what do you have for us?
0: Dave, my story comes from Dragos. Mm. You know, Robert Lee's company. Yeah. Uh, Robert Lee has been on our show many times. Yep. Uh, but Dragos has published a, uh, an incident report and it's, this is a blog post on their website called Deconstructing a Cybersecurity Event, and it's dated for May 10th, and it was about an event that took place at Dragos on May 8th.
2: Yeah. Now, let's, uh, just for folks who may not be deep in this stuff, Dragos is a security company who protects critical infrastructure. so right. Things they, like power plants. They and, protect
0: uh, industrial control systems, or yep. ICS, and, yep. and SCADA systems, which is... Uh, something, uh, System Command and Data Acquisition. Yeah. I can't remember what the acronym is. Yeah. But, you know, these are the the cyber physical systems that essentially run the world. Right. Right. So, Dragos is a company that focuses on securing those assets. Yep. Um, but uh, what happened on May 8th is, uh, according to this blog post, a known cyber criminal group attempted and failed at an extortion scheme against Dragos. The very next sentence in the blog post says, No Dragos systems were breached, including anything related to the Dragos platform, which Mm. is their protection tool. Mm -hmm. They have a timeline on here. uh, And what happened prior to, at some point in time in the past, and they don't really know when this happened, but somebody, this adversary, had compromised the email account of someone that Dragos had hired, Mm -hmm. the personal email account. Right. So Dragos sent... An onboarding, a set of onboarding instructions to this new employee, and within six hours, somebody logged in masquerading as the new person. And forty-five seconds after they logged in, they began a programmatic download of the general use data from the uh, Drago's SharePoint. Hmm. So just general stuff that's available uh, from Drago's.
2: Grabbing whatever, grabbing whatever they can. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Nineteen minutes later. They attempted to access the Dragos messaging system, but they were unsuccessful due to needing administration approval or admin approval. and mm. uh, at, at forty six minutes after they got initial access, they accessed twenty five Dragos Intel reports, which are normally available to customers. So these are reports that Dragos generates that they make available to their to people that pay for them. Mm-hmm. So they got away with some information that uh, that may have been, uh, proprietary, or may have just been we only give this to our customers. Hmm. Uh, to a minute after that, there was an unsuccessful attempt to access the IT system, but it was uh, blocked because of role-based access control,
2: mm-hmm.
0: or RBAC, which means you don't have this role. Therefore, you don't you know you're not in IT. You're a salesperson. You don't need to access this. Right. This is, uh, and I'm going to break this down at the end of at the end of uh, everything. Dragos did right here at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a successful access to the Drago's customer support system, but they got no data because they didn't have the right role-based access controls. Uh, Because the role-based access control stopped them, they didn't have the right role, the attackers. Uh, Unsuccessful uh, attempt to access financial systems are back again.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: Successful access to the contract management system. So they could get in and see the contract management system, but uh, but then they had... Unsuccessful access to the RFP system, again, due to RBAC. Hmm. uh, Unsuccessful access to the employee recognition system. Unsuccessful access to the sales lead system. Unsuccessful access to the marketing system. uh, And unsuccessful attempts to reset admin passwords. And then after about 11 hours and nine minutes of working on this, they sent an extortion email to Dragos. Mm-hmm. So Dragos is confident that this organization was trying to uh, install ransomware. Right. But they didn't get that. They did get uh, one piece of information uh, that had, or one of the artifacts they did manage to get uh, from the SharePoint server included IP addresses associated with a customer. Uh, they have already notified that customer and reached out to them. Uh, they in, they were alerted of the of the ongoing attack because they had the security and information event manager or a SIM. They blocked the compromised account, shut it down, and immediately notified their incident response uh, company that they had on retainer. Mm. So they had somebody ready to go. Right. They also worked with their third party monitoring and detection uh, monitoring detection and response provider as well, and they were managing the incident response efforts. So. In this blog post, Dragos has included some of the communications from these malicious actors. Uh, and they're constantly demanding money for what they have, which isn't much. Yeah. Um, they are bad-mouthing the FBI here, telling them that the FBI doesn't care about you. So they're trying to isolate you from uh, Dragos from the FBI here. Um, and then the last thing they're doing is they're reaching out to this person and asking about how their family members are doing. Yeah. Right, which is really scary. Now, some of the information was not correct about the family members, but they did a little bit of digging on the person they were reaching out to uh, to to try to scare them a little bit right. with this. Nobody from Dragos engaged with these guys, uh, and in fact, now by posting this this blog posting, the, the jig is up. Every, everything's out in the open. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's over. Um, at the bottom of this, they uh, they. Actually, release the indicators of compromise. They give you the IP addresses that the things come came from. They give you the uh, the tactics, techniques, and procedures, the TTPs, uh, based on the MITRE attack mapping, which is uh, which is really nice that they put this out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lessons learned section, which is uh, in response to this event. We have added an additional verification step to further harden our onboarding process to ensure this technique cannot be repeated. Hmm. So here's one of the big problems in cybersecurity, uh, particularly with social engineering attacks. You can sit there and think and think and think and think about everything that's out there, and somebody's going to hit you in a place where you haven't thought of. <laughs> and it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, You can be Dragos, who is a top-quality security company. Sure. Uh, and there's going to be some weakness in your processes. This isn't really even a weakness in in Dragos' systems. This is a weakness in a process that they didn't anticipate. But I don't know how you anticipate this. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things you really can't anticipate. Uh, immediately following the event, within two days, they post a blog post about it, letting everybody know what happened, which is fantastic. We had a, was it Coinbase? We had a, another a similar hmm. discussion about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't recall. Somebody broke into, it was one of the big crypto um Oh, yeah. Crypto exchanges Mm -hmm. had a similar event where somebody tried to get in. Yeah. uh, And they posted a blog post about it. Uh, So, kudos to Dragos and to Robert Lee for for putting this out there. Uh, Yeah. I want to talk about what Dragos did that really helped minimize the impact here. Okay. Uh, They did a lot of groundwork. They were prepared for this thing to happen before it happened. That's Mm -hmm. number one. They had role based access control in place. Uh, they had a, a SIM in place, a security event or security information and event uh, management system. This is a system that reports events when they reach a certain threshold. So Dragos was aware of the event as it was happening.
2: Sounds to me like they probably had pretty vo- verbose logging enabled too, They did. Right? They had
0: really verbose logging enabled as yeah. well. They That's one of the points they make in here. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't put that in here uh, in in my list of things but it is a point that Dragos makes uh-huh. uh, and it's a good point to make. They had an incident response team on retainer because they're acting as if they're going to have an incident at some point in time and they are going to have it. Here they are having yeah. the incident. Yeah. I will bet that everybody at Dragos said, I'm so glad that we have that incident response person on retainer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's right. call them
0: right now yeah. and get this to happen. I, I You know, that, that kind of thing... Uh, is so good to have and not need than in comparison to needing it and not having it. Right. So they also had a third party doing uh, monitoring detection and response. And they had a contract in place with that company and they actually managed the incident response. Hmm. So uh, again, this is going to happen to companies all over the place. It's going to happen to people. It's, it's, It's what has happened here is minimal compared to what could have happened. Yeah, it is. It is a really good example of how the security in depth has uh, helped Dragos out. How Dragos has responded appropriately. They didn't engage with these guys. They put everything out there, and it's it's over now. They they've they're just. They, I I doubt that they'll ever hear from these guys again.
2: Yeah, a couple of things to add. Um, I too read this report with great interest, um, and you know knowing. Uh, Rob Lee, as I do, and, and as you do as well. Like you said, he's been a guest many times. He's someone I would consider to be a friend, mm-hmm. um, perhaps somewhere between acquaintance and friend. You know, we're right. friendly. If we passed each other in a hallway, we'd stop and say hello and yep. ask 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 each other how our kids are, that sort of thing. Uh, but we're not going on vacation together, <laughs> right?
0: Right. <laughs> I don't go on vacation with any of my friends, Dave.
2: Right. Right. <laughs> um, but there's been additional. So, so my my point there is that it does not surprise me that this is the approach that Rob, as the leader of Dragos, has taken to be upfront, transparent, and putting all this out there for the benefit of the community. That, right. that tracks with what I know about him and how he runs his organization. Uh, so I, I would say tip of the hat to him for that. Yeah, Indeed. I saw additional reporting this morning, um, and I, I regret, I don't remember where it was, but someone actually interviewed Rob, and um, these bad guys— um, called his five year old son on the phone,
0: oh, uh, yikes,
2: yeah, so evidently his son had a phone that he uses just to talk to his grandparents, and the bad guys found that number, huh, and called him called the son, and the son handed the phone to his mom, and his mom hung up, right, So nothing bad happened, but uh, you see the kind of intimidation, the kind of homework that these people will do to make you uncomfortable, to make right. you think. Imagine you're a parent and, um, well, I mean, imagine, imagine the pressure you might get from your spouse if your five-year-old gets a phone call from bad guys from who knows where right. in the world. Yeah. You know, I could easily imagine a spouse saying, I don't care what you have to do. Make this stop. Right. right, And, that, and when you're in that emotional moment, that can change yeah. your response. It,
0: yeah, it can. <laughs> right? It, it sounds like Robert maintained a cool head.
2: Yeah, sounds that way. Um, so, uh, it's just a little additional color to uh, the degree to which, um, first of all, these bad guys are scumbags. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but but as you say, your point is a good one. That it seems like Dragos had plenty of things in place to minimize the blast radius of a thing like this. And, uh, you know, they learned what they need to do to harden up their defenses. Yeah, so.
0: the thing is, though, Dave, I don't, I I looked on their website. They say if any job can be a a work from home job, it will be a work from home job. Uh-huh. So they've instituted a new uh a new step in verification for new account creations mm-hmm. for onboarding. But I, my question is how did they, my my main question is did these bad guys just get lucky? Hmm. Did they or did they or did they know something? Yeah, well We'll that's an ongoing investigation know. with Dragos, but yeah. that—that's really the only question I have that um, I don't know if it's—it's it's ever going to be answered, and it's it, nobody's obligation to answer it for me, right? Um, but it's—I—I'd it, like to know the answer to that question, you know?
2: It's, yeah, I think a lot of it too depends on whether somebody's coming at you for like ransom. So it's—it's a ransomware event, and and what they want is money. That's different than if they're coming at you from an espionage point of view. Right. And I could see Dragos potentially being an espionage target. They do work all over the world with many governments. You know, critical infrastructure is what keeps humanity running.
0: Yeah, this could have been a a much worse breach.
2: So I've heard of stories of, you know, people receiving brand new shrink-wrapped laptops, you know, direct from (laughs) alleged, you know, by all accounts, directly from the supplier, you know, from Apple or Dell or, you know, whoever you get your laptop from directly from them, and yet somewhere along the way it had been intercepted, malware had been installed, it had been, you know, re- rewrapped, and you never know. But yeah. that's an espionage kind of thing, yep. right? That's spycraft. Yep. So.
0: There was a time I was working for a, uh, a part of the government. Yeah. And when we would get new computers, the very first thing we'd do is blow the operating system away and reinstall it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what we did.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But what about the firmware? Well, we didn't do that. <laughs> well, yeah, see, this is the world we live in, Joe. Right. <laughs> that was, yeah. was almost
0: 30 years ago. Yeah. It was a long time ago.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, well, interesting stuff. And uh, we will have a link to that uh, from Dragos on the show notes. So please do check that out.
0: Yes. And I want to say, uh, I want to make it clear. This is good work on Dragos's part.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. <laughs> Our catch of the day comes from Richard, who writes, I got the best BS email ever. Uh, Dave, this one's really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't you start from who it's from, Dave? It's from
2: Marine Corps. Right. (laughs) And the subject is howdy. And it goes like this. It says, Hi, I am USMC on special redeployment. I am looking an intelligent person for a relationship. Or a person who can accept to take custody of an amount being proceed of a raid we carried out here. If you are interested, mail me back with your picture. All communication must be through an end-to-end encrypted means. It is important that you must have WhatsApp for easy communication. And I ensure you that your privacy will be protected too. I got your email contact through an opt-in consumer directory. I expect your response. A. Sergeant USA.
0: Marine Corps. (laughs) This... Is the lowest effort email phishing email I've seen in a long time, Dave. Yeah. (laughs) It's Yeah. Pretty bad. (laughs) I am a USMC. There Mm -hmm. is only one USMC.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sergeant. Sergeant USA, <laughs> right? It's like,
0: Sergeant USA. Remember, you were in
2: when you were. I don't know if this happened to you, but when I was in elementary school, well, once a year, the police would come and do a presentation. And it was always like officer friendly, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they, they had some officer who had a some kind of you know. They made him a special name badge that said you know officer care officer. just gave him a phony name. Uh, this strikes me as being something like that.
0: We never had the cops come. in. We had a guy from the phone company come in. Okay. And I was very interested in that.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, that's different.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, the cops, it was straighten up, fly right. Maybe I went to a rougher school than you did, Joe. I did. I don't know.
0: I I don't know if that's the case. (laughs) When, When we were kids, there weren't a lot of rough schools around
2: here. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
0: All right, well, our
2: thanks to uh, our listener for sending that in. Uh, Richard, we do appreciate it. Again, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com. We were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing – they're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons KnowBefore has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com securitycoach. That's nobefore.com/slash/securitycoach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Mark Kepsinski. He is senior vice president of strategic partnerships at an organization called OneRep. And we're talking about consumer and data privacy. Here's my conversation with Mark Kapsinski.
1: I think it's kind of interesting that we've gone through a spell where, like, uh, you know, I think I'm old enough to say, like, you know, in the early days of the Internet, it was like a race to everyone's got to be on the Internet and you got to have a presence and you have to be able to be found. And now, all of a sudden, we've kind of grown up through that. And now we're at the spot of like, wait a sec, I don't want to be found and don't find my family and my kids or anything. You hear people
2: comparing to being on Facebook as as, uh, like uh, being addicted to smoking.
1: Right, right. So so I think a lot has changed over the years and, uh, you know, and certainly of perception and. And, you know, as people are learning more about like, wow, there's actually bad stuff that can happen on the internet and social media included, uh, if your information is so accessible. And I think now what's even happening is our society is just so polarized. Like if you're not with me, you're definitely against me. And, uh, you know, if you don't take care of me, you did something wrong to me. Like just people are so pent up uh, with these kind of feelings. And, uh, now, uh, because information is so easy to access and find through a Google search, uh, people can, you know, almost feel like empowered to take action. And that's where it starts to get scary because now I can find within a minute, I can find all of your information. I can find your family, your relatives, where you live, you know, if you have multiple houses, I can find everything about you. Um, and, what's even scarier about that is some of that information probably isn't even accurate and I could be taking action against you and using data that's not even accurate. And so it's just this like weird scenario that we're in where all of our information is out there. People have this proclivity to take action against, you know, the bad guy, so to speak. And, you know, or the person that's against them or wrong them in some way. And, they're taking action off of data that may not even be accurate and uh it just just completely compounds this problem
2: what are people to do then i mean how do you approach this from a practical point of view but but at the same time uh you know not go overboard not not become some kind of a you know an <laughs> online prepper if you will yeah. you
1: know <laughs> yeah you know it's 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 hard i'll say first of all so you know anyone who thinks it's easy Uh, It's not easy. Um, It it was funny. uh, I had a boss when I used to work at Experian, you know, the big bad credit bureau. And um, he used to, you know, tell me how he created fake names and fake personas, you know, based off of, you know, his different online accounts. And I was like, wow, you know, like, you're crazy. You're overthinking it. And now I'm like, wow, maybe he was actually onto to something. He was just like way ahead of his time. But, you know, now it's so easy to get people's information, right? So um, the hard part is the information that we've all put out there to, you know, enter a sweepstakes or download a movie trailer or read the news. We're giving out our personal information over and over and over and all of that gets accumulated or aggregated behind the scenes and then it gets you know sold to people that want to buy it and buy it in bulk and then publish it to the internet. And so the problem is like the cat's out of the bag on that one, right? You, it's hard to go back and and just erase yourself entirely, right? There's things that like what one rep offers that helps, you know, remove you from uh, people search sites, and that helps eliminate some of your presence on Google uh, as well um, but you know you have to be thinking it's a multi step process right it's you got to do the scrubbing that we do as a starting point to try to, you know, create a baseline for yourself. And then, and then from there on a go forward basis, you have to kind of think a little bit more strategically of like, maybe I should create some fake personas and fake data and use that when a website that I'm interested in, in either subscribing to or signing up for uh, needs my information. And uh, you know, that's all on the, on the consumer side. And what we even tell companies, uh, businesses, is you know when you have uh, frontline workers, whether they're in healthcare or police or security or just customer service people, again, it's so easy to get their information that you have to, as a company, be thinking how do I protect my employees so that. Their personal information doesn't get exposed, and so you know we do th- things like we advise people to have uh you know fake or burner phone numbers and burner email addresses, and and you know when you when you create a burner email address, don't actually put your name on it, you know create a fake name for it, and it's almost like we have to have this almost like dual identity. You know, here's my real self and I share that more sparingly. And then here's my, you know, faux persona that I use when I'm on the internet and in order to be safe and in order to um, have to share information with companies that, you know, want to offer me something.
2: You know, I I think we've all gone through that routine of of trying to get back in touch with someone that we've lost touch with, you know, maybe an old buddy from high school or something like that. And, you know, you start with a Google search and, and as you mentioned, a lot of these sites pop up who, you know, will promise you for the low, low price of whatever, they'll give you everything from, you know, where they live, where they've worked, if they've ever been arrested and, you know, their blood type. I, I'm curious, like what is within our rights to have that
1: information removed where where do we stand with that yeah well you know it's you know it's amazing that this day and age in america you know we as individuals as citizens we don't own our data when we give our data to any website or any business the business technically owns it and so what ends up happening is um in on these sites you know, they're just basically buying the data from larger aggregators, right? So they're not actually even doing the heavy lifting of collecting it. They're just buying it the way you'd buy a product, and then they're just marketing it really well through search engine optimization or SEO. And so um, we don't have any rules in America that, one, uh, state that I as a citizen own my data, and two, that companies don't, uh, you know, can't and don't sell, uh, or have the right to sell my data. And I guess maybe thirdly, you know, how is Google allowed to index my personal home address on, on their website? Like, how is that even allowed? So we don't have the regulations in place that, you know, give me ownership of my data and forbid businesses from selling it. And then thirdly, you know, preventing companies like Google from publish, uh, publishing it. And, and that's, you know, three big pieces of legisla- legislation that need to be put in place. Because nearly every other country in the world has solved for this problem, right? You, you can't go to Europe and do, and, and do this. You know, this is a uniquely U.S. problem that needs to be solved.
2: Now, I remember, you know, years ago, and and um, I'm kind of an old timer here. I remember when Google started up and I remember people just being all bent out of shape that you could you know, put in someone's name or address and they would give you a map to their house. And this was, you know, oh my goodness, you know, and and today that seems kind of quaint, you know, like, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a minor part of, of our information being bought and sold and, and aggregated and combined and, you know, all of the dots being connected and all that kind of stuff. The process of dealing with any of this, I mean, is this, is it a one by one kind of thing? And, and when you make these requests, do the companies respect them?
1: Yeah. um, So what I always like to say is, you know, they, they, I guess they legally have to have an option, especially in states like I'm in California under CCPA, you know, where they have to let you opt out of having your data in their system. Uh, So I guess on one level they technically have to, but I, I always like to say that doesn't, you know, like nowhere does it describe like how fast they have to do it. You know, yeah. or or if it has to be permanent and uh, or even how easy they have to make it. So like one of the sites that uh, actually got a massive fine last year, uh, one of these, they're called people search websites. They're pretty sketchy. Um, as you kind of identified as well. Uh, One of them last year used to have this horrendous process where in order to get your data removed, you actually had to create an account on their website and you had to jump through literally like 10 steps. And then they'd be like, oh, congratulations, we'll remove you now. Just upload a picture of your driver's license. And it's like, (laughs) no consumer's doing that, right? It's like, I'm trying to get off of this. But, But the funny thing is, if you actually submitted like a picture of your dog, you'd still get removed. They just put that up there to scare people. And, wow. and, and so that's where, again, it's, it's, um it's, they don't have to make it easy. You know, they don't have to process it fast. They don't have to make it permanent either because a lot of these sites, the problem is they get a, they buy a, they're just buying data. They're not, harvesting it themselves. So they're buying data from different data suppliers. And so they, they buy the data from their suppliers. They and they get a new data feed a few months down the road and it has your information in it again. They just publish it again. Right. There's no data efficacy. There's no like, oh Mark's already opted out. Let's make sure to keep him opted out. It's like, ah, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, just let him have to find it again and re-remove it. Wow. And and that's you know That's where, again, kind of all this legislation needs to go. It's just like, how is this even possible in this day and age that this is allowed? And, you know, the fact of the matter is like most of the data that they're buying and publishing isn't even accurate. And, and that's where it can even get crazier because it gets, maybe it says I'm of a particular religion or a political, you know, alignment or something, right? Or a particular race or, or background. And, that could get you know that could have a real harmful uh, impact on me if it's inaccurate because you know society looks at that and is like oh he's so and so and i'm going to go after him like and it's like the data is not even accurate and yeah. so uh, there's no oversight right now to all this and again it's just remarkable that these sites can publish this information and google indexes it all and makes it available you know with a simple search I'm curious for your insights
2: on what actually works in in terms of trying to minimize your footprint online. Are there there practical things that actually work and and are there things out there that are kind of myths? You know, people think you should do this,
1: but that doesn't really work. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I think again, it's it's um, you yeah, know, because it's funny. I, I advise companies, uh, especially folks in like the dating industry uh, mm. and and consumers in that space. And it's like I always like to tell people, it's like get yourself scrubbed first, right? So like, don't just jump into these things and and start having at it. It's like um, get yourself scrubbed off the internet first, which is you can use a tool like rep or or do it yourself manually, um, but. Try to use a service like that to get yourself removed first as much as possible. Then, if you're going to go ahead and sign up for, say, an online dating service, or you're going to uh, uh, subscribe to various newsletters or movie sites, or, you know, uh, sign up for a um, uh, a trivia contest or a a sweepstakes, create a fake identity, you know, fake name, fake address, fake email, fake phone number, uh, and just use that. And use that as much as possible, and and I think that's almost like the the most basic way you can at least get ahead of this thing is get yourself scrubbed, then use uh, a, a faux identity, and you know kind of document it so you you have it consistent, right, and then. You know, then you'll actually kind of be amused by it because you'll see that fake profile (laughs) come out places and you'll be like, that's actually me, but it's all fake, (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, and it's kind of ridiculous. Um, um, I will also say just one more thing. Um, Part of this is not just, um, you know, on the shoulders of the consumer, but um, businesses. You know, one of the biggest uh, scams right now going around is uh, we call it the CEO gift card scam. And what's happening are these fraudsters are so quick that they're finding uh, your information on like LinkedIn and on, on what are called business listing sites like Zoom Info and Leads 411 and Rocket Reach. So they're finding, you know, hey, Mark just took a new job someplace and they get my contact information from these business listing services, and then they, you know, email you or text you, uh, typically early in the morning. So, like, right when you wake up, you see a text from the CEO of the company that you just joined, and he's at the airport and needs a gift card of money because he's stuck, you know. And and can you quickly go buy some and and send him the codes so that he can get the money? And like. You know, you wake up at like five in the morning, six in the morning, and you see this thing. And it's like, oh my gosh! You know, our CEO, uh, like, and you don't know better. And right. a lot of people fall for it. And all of these things, you know, they're sort of used by these fraudsters together. Uh, so like a good example, another example is like um, people you know businesses may have had data breaches. and a data breach on its own is bad, but it's there's usually not enough information in the breach that uh, a fraudster can do some real damage with they need to combine it with, uh, you know, your real personal information. And so it's funny, but like some of the best customers of these people search sites are fraudsters. So, you know, they, they go into the dark web, they get a list of names and, and some account information, and then they go look up the person's name and information on the people search sites and then can reverse engineer your, your profile and your, you know, all your information so that then they can, try to open a credit card account or a bank account or other accounts where they can you know truly cause financial damage and so it's not like oh it's a data breach and you know you know someone gave me you know you know credit monitoring so i'm good it's it's the fraudsters are using this data in combination to try to cause harm build synthetic identities on people and you know they're they're pretty smart that way
0: Joe, what do you think? I'm going to start with this. We did this to ourselves, Dave. Yeah. (laughs) We as a society uh, ran out to get on the internet, and now we wish we hadn't done that. (laughs) It's too late. At least to some extent. Yeah. I wish I hadn't put all that information on Facebook. Dave, a a while ago, I went out and just deleted a bunch of stuff from Facebook. Okay. You know, uh, old posts and everything like that. Took weeks to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't sit down and just do it. I, I couldn't tolerate doing that, but it took a long time just to get my Facebook to a minimalist uh, level. Okay. Um, so we've gone out there, put all this information out there, and now we're trying to get it back. Well, it, <laughs> you can't really get it back. Right. Uh, I don't have the illusion that Facebook has actually deleted my information.
2: No, set visibility to zero. Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> but uh, right. but I am convinced that there are fewer people out there that can that can see the information. So that's. Probably good, right? Right. I think I've moved in a more secure direction. Take the win. Uh, yeah, right. I'll take what I can get. Right. the The point that Mark makes: we are very polarized, uh, and and it is. I am convinced, convinced that it's because of of uh, social media. Hmm. Uh, and one of the things that he says is that polarization. He points this out that can be used as justification by some people to do you harm, right? Just because you think differently than they do. Uh, mm-hmm. and and they believe that somehow you've done harm or you're going to do harm to people. Uh, pair that with the ability uh, or the availability of our data and you have a real problem, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of Mark's point. Yeah, We have seen people buy and then threaten to release uh, the web browsing history of elected officials. Yeah. We've seen that. Um, and I don't know. I just don't think that's something that should be Available to do not just for elected officials but for anybody right well, remember
2: years ago we, they Congress made it illegal to get people's uh, library borrowing histories for that very reason, right yeah,
0: yeah good yeah uh, I think fake personas are a great idea. I have a couple of these that I use mm-hmm. and uh, they don't they are not Joe Kerrigan. <laughs> <laughs> so there are. You know, there are things out there where I have these fake personas where I sign up for things. I just have a, uh, you know, essentially a spam account. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where I just go in and sign up sign up for, it's a, it's you know, it's a secondary Yahoo account. It's not linked to anything. Yeah. And if I want to, uh, if they say you need an email address, oh, guess what email address you're getting? <laughs> you're not getting my my real one.
2: Now, let me ask you this. Yes. What do you think the odds are that the data people have figured that out about you
0: you know that's a good question it's probably pretty good
2: i would imagine so at this point
0: because the amount you know the the overlap and in interest they may be able to to essentially it's an attempt at de-anonymize uh, anon- anonymizing myself yeah and they may be able to de-anonymize that data
2: i would think just from location data too like, yeah this person always logs in from the same place that joe kerrigan does
0: right he comes from the same ip address well i do use a vpn dave
2: Still, physical location, same GPS, same you know, interesting. Hmm. Works the same hours, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, hmm. it, it it may not be doing me much good. No, uh, But I still do it. <laughs> <laughs> in the U.S., we give our data to a site, and that becomes the the site's property, hmm. right? We don't we don't maintain ownership of our own data, which I think is wrong. We should we should be maintaining our ownership of our own data. It would be nice to have something like GDPR here in the U.S. Uh, the problem is getting the government to agree on what that should look like. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of conflict of interest. However, I think in cybersecurity, there's a lot of uh, consensus and agreement on things, uh, which is one of the places we're not really divided as as a country. Yeah. Uh, and as a government. Uh, I would like to see that spill over into privacy. <laughs> right. right. And people to realize that, that privacy is part of, of cybersecurity. Right. Um, this is definitely a uniquely u s problem. A lot of the world has already solved this issue mm-hmm. uh the case where Mark talks about the company that had a user jump through all kinds of hoops and at the end upload their driver's license to uh to to remove all the data that's awful and I'm glad that company got slapped with a big fine right so I like Mark's advice that if you want to start, you know, if you want to take a couple steps, scrub, scrub yourself from the internet, do what you can. And of course, Mark has the, uh, Mark's company can do that, but you can also do it yourself. Just go out and remove your data from the social media sites. Yeah, uh, I think you use a Twitter app that goes through and deletes old tweets.
2: Yeah. There's, yeah. I I don't know if those work anymore. Cause the Twitter API has been, you know, beat Lucky within with. a, a shred of its life, you yeah. know, these days, but, uh, there was a time when you could do that. There were apps that would go through and scrub things, and um, all sorts of options to do that. So, yeah, it's worth taking a look at.
0: And then sign up for things with fake identities. You know, even if it's um, companies like Facebook think that it's you, they may never have confirmation of it. Mm-hmm. So it, it would be harder to sell that information as bona fide information. Yeah, uh, you know, just use that as like a, a, a data firewall, if you want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Well, again, our thanks to Mark Kapsinski for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.